0: Hey, what's up, what's up, what's up, guys? Welcome to the show, Into the Mind. I'm your host, Marlon Johnson. I'm a parkour athlete turned real estate investor, and I've spent the last eight years of my life studying the mindset of elite performers and applying those lessons into my own life. In my pursuit for success, I've sought out wisdom from mentors who are doing exactly what I wanna do in all areas of life, and I've asked that they share their wins and their losses with me. From my pursuit, this podcast was born. I wanted to share the valuable advice that I was receiving from successful entrepreneurs, investors, and world-class athletes with you guys, my community. So thank you all for tuning in. This show is for free, and my guests give their precious time and hard-earned wisdom, so I do ask for one thing in return. The price of admission to this show is that if you receive any value, if you learn anything new, if you have a brand new thought, or even you get a new idea that helps you progress forward in your life or your business, I ask that you share this podcast with your friends. Share it with your family, with your coworkers, with people on the streets, your audience on social media. Look, my goal is to influence 1 million people to invest in themselves and to unlock their own potential. So, for that, I need your help. So, please, again, if you receive any value, share this with a friend. Yo, let's get started. Today's guest is none other than Reese Pennington, and I seriously enjoyed having Reese on the show today. So just a heads up, this show is a little bit longer than most of my episodes. Normally, we're at about 60 minutes. This one's going to run us almost an hour and a half, and that's because Reese has such a deep sales experience background. I mean, we spent, I think, maybe the first 20 or 30 minutes just going over the laundry list of a resume that he's had over the last 12 years, building up sales in different jobs. I mean, Reese is a closer. So seriously, Sit back, enjoy the episode, learn about who Reese is because during this episode, I'm not even going to lie, guys, he drops a gem. He drops an absolute gem about midway through. So I'm not going to tell you what that is. You're going to have to listen through. When you hear it, you will know you found something of gold. So listen for this episode. Tell me what you guys think. Comment on the uh, in the comment section and tag me on social media. It's at MindsetMarlin. Find us and let's continue this conversation. Without further ado, let's get this episode started. Also, guys, I'm sorry. I know we said we're going to get the episode started right now, but I do need to let you know that if you are in the New York area, I will be hosting a New York Long Island real estate meetup on December 2nd. That's Wednesday, December 2nd from 6.30 to 9 p.m. It will be both in person and virtual We'll be charging $25 for the both person in-person and virtual tickets, and the money is going to charity. We are adopting families for Christmas, so all of the money—well, I'm sorry, not all of the money, but a major portion of the money is going to charity. So be on the lookout for that. I'm going to be dropping some more info about that in my social media accounts, so on Instagram and on Facebook. If you have any questions, please shoot me a DM, figure out a way that you can get involved. I would absolutely love to work with more people so that we can do something good here. Without further ado, let's get to Reese Pennington. Yo, so what's going on, everybody? Welcome back to another episode of Into the Mind. I'm your host, Marlon Johnson, and today my guest is Reese Pennington. I'm crazy excited to have him on the show because Reese is a closer, He's based in uh, Maryland. He's the owner of RHP Investment Holdings. He's uh, the host of the Baltimore Real Estate Investment Group, which connects local investors to one another. And they also teach newbies how to invest in the local market. He has 12 plus years of expert sales experience. He's personally been investing in real estate for about five plus years. He's a transactional engineer, an expert at creative finance, Reese understands the sales process and the mindset of a seller to such a point. It's like when you're watching him on the phone, you're watching a professional sporting event when like it's insane. In the last eight months alone, I've witnessed Reese revive other investors' deals, take on JV partnerships and turns what were botched transactions into profitable closings. And Reese has been lending his expertise to my sales training calls where we're getting on every morning, 6 a.m. till 7 a.m., and the results have been off the charts. I mean, seriously, within that, we've already seen my students take and close. I think we're already past 10 deals collectively this That's last awesome. month alone. So I'm super excited to introduce the audience to you, Reese. It's my absolute honor and
1: privilege privilege to have you on the show today, man. Man, I really appreciate that. That's uh, man, that was a, that was better than I describe myself, man. I'm very humbled. Thank you so much. I'm glad to be here. Dude, no, of course, man. So, I mean, for most people that don't know, you and I met
0: through uh, Pace Morby. We met through his Sub2 mentorship, an amazing, absolutely amazing network of people inside there. I feel blessed to know all of you guys. But, um, you know, today, let's dive into your story, Reese. I mean, 12 plus years of sales training. Like, where did that start from? Like, can we go back to the beginning and
1: kind of get into that? Yeah, man, sure. I can take it. Uh, I can take it all the way back. So, Um, It really all started, so I'll take it back, like from the very beginning. Um, My dad was in sales pretty much his whole life, Um, owned a couple of different businesses, selling labels, stuff like that, Um, really had a knack for sales, did a lot of sales training. Um, But right out of high school, I was like, oh, you know, I don't necessarily want to go that route. I don't want to be in an office, in a desk, corporate world. Um, So I actually went into construction, um, graduated like high school vocational um, on electrical. So I did um, residential electrical for a few years and then did some commercial electrical for a couple of years as well. Uh, But I really got tired of it. Um, One, I hated being underneath the house or in the attic uh, (laughs) because uh, they were like, oh, well, hey, we got to go in this crawl space. Hey, Reese, come on. I. Hated that so much, right? It means you're talking about puddles of water. There's snakes. There's spiders. There's bugs, and um, that's not that's that's not my thing, right? I'm not I'm not a bit I'm not really big into that. So after I had enough of it, right? I was talking to I was talking to my dad, and I was like, you know, hey, dad, I want to get into sales. I I'm tired of doing this. You know what what can I do, right? So. As I transitioned out of the construction, what I did was I started waiting tables for a little while, and I would meet with him, and we would start doing sales training. I um, started off, you know, like once or twice a week doing sales training, and then I landed my first uh, sales job at a company called the Nolan Group back in, I don't know, like 2010 or 11 or somewhere around there. But I started off as an appointment center, right? And um, we set it up to uh, once I got that job. Um, I had my dad, I would meet him every day after work at this uh, pool hall in Salisbury. And we would for about an hour or two, we would role play the entire time um, while we're shooting pool. So it makes it a little bit more fun, breaks it up a little bit. Um, But that was uh, the way that really kind of like rocketed me and built the entire foundation, right? he was always giving me these like sales tapes. And when I say tapes, I mean like cassettes and I like, <laughs> buy a cassette player to figure it out and get them to play. But I through doing that on a daily basis, Monday through Friday, I went from setting appointments and accelerated in my goals um, on the appointments for those salespeople through my appointments those sales people were hitting their numbers. And in three months' time, I became a regional uh, sales rep um, in that company. And I did I did really well, right? Um, however, the company started to, um, you know, lose some market share here and there. Uh, but they ended up laying off uh, three quarters of the sales team. Man. So, you know, that put me in a position. I was like, all right, well, I'm not really sure what to do next. Um, then fr- from there, I actually transitioned into... Um, you know, in an office selling business to business. Now the Nolan group, we sold um, hospitality software. So um, basically spying on other hotels to find out the people that are meeting in their meeting space, getting that information, and then selling it to the competition that's around the block or down the street. Because for those of you that don't know, the way that hotels really make their money is meeting space. Having events there and booking rooms, right? It's not just people coming into town, transient wanting to stay there. It's it's events, which you know now in today's age is is a little bit uh, different with uh, COVID and everything. But uh, from there, I uh, transitioned into selling credit card processing. <laughs> that was actually um, it was very challenging, right? Um, so credit card processing, uh, you have your merchants on average switching every six to nine months on the processor, uh, because they sit on a, uh, on a rate that changes and fluctuates all the time. Mm. Um, but it was a type of business. When you go into that appointment, you have to close them on that appointment. And if you don't, the odds of you coming back are slim to none there really was no like follow-up opportunity because there was someone else coming in behind you to try to sell as well. So I did that for, I don't know, about 10, 11 months, uh, on the road, actually, you know, they set appointments. I would go all the way down to like Louisiana, North Carolina, up to New York, Connecticut, all over the place and spend about three weeks on the road at a time, then come home, do one week off and then do it all over again. Um, But I I really kind of grew tired of, uh, you know, staying in every single Red Roof Inn that was up and down the East Coast. Uh, So I had to get out of that and transitioned into a company called Cambridge Architectural. So that was an in-house office job uh, inside sales rep where we were tracking construction opportunities and starting with the actual design development from the architect and we were providing stainless steel metal mesh facades, very expensive stuff. It's intention. It can be etched all this cool stuff. But the problem, the problem was, is that I found when I started there is that the sales cycle on that job, getting it from starting in the beginning could be anywhere from an 18 to 36 month sales cycle you starting doing all this work, planting the seed, nurturing it through the architects, then through the bid stages. And then um, a lot of times what would happen is it would get value engineered. So for those that don't know what value engineer means is that they see this cool facade that's on this building and see that, hey, for us to do this, it's five six dollars $600,000, but we, can, we have the option to put this facade up and save $400,000. So it was really the, you know, trying to keep our design intact, trying to get certain things written into the spec of the design to make the contractors do that. However, what I, what I started doing inside that company um, to get jobs to close quicker and get letters of intent that they were going to stick with our product is nobody was like doing like on-site visits, meeting with these contractors or these mm. big GCs. And we would meet with them, um, you know, take them out, do all these kinds of things. So that way they would keep us on the job. So by doing that, I was able to shorten the sales cycle and bring in the company a lot more money and bookings quicker than they normally would and eliminate the opportunity for us to be value engineered so within a I don't know four to six month period I went from handling everything less than like a two 150 to 200,000 to handling only jobs that were 500,000 and above um, brought in the largest job that the company had seen in the last five years which was 3.8 million and um, you know really went from there but what I didn't, um, the, the reason why I transitioned out of that particular sales opportunity was, uh, you know, there wasn't a whole lot of room for growth, right? It was, uh, it was a salary, the commission structure was not really great. And I also come from a background of most of the males in my family were all, have all been business owners. All my uncles owned businesses, my father owned businesses, Um, so, um, even my grandfather owned businesses and I'm like, man, you know, the, the success and like, I see it in my family, the way to be successful is like, you really have to be in charge of your own destiny, right. And not let a company, um, you know, make that opportunity for you. Now, obviously it works for some people, but just me, it it, it wasn't working out because I was putting in all this work and the commission I was seeing from some of these large jobs was. Very small, and there were uh, multiple times where it tried. They tried to um, mess with my commission, um, and were successful in doing so. And it, you know, upset me. So I started actually looking into real estate while I was at uh, Cambridge Architectural.
0: Oh no way! So because <laughs> I mean, like that's so far. That's a crazy long resume. Like this is my first time hearing your whole resume, and. It makes sense why you have the skills that you have when you get on the phone, when you start talking with people, when you start negotiating, you've been in so many different realms of the sales process of the sales transaction, where you're having one day close, you're having 18 to 30 months, like that's a long freaking time to put in work on something that's not guaranteed. That's insane. So to recognize, okay, like it's now really painting this picture of where all your experience is coming from. And then the hair that you start transitioning into real estate. So yeah, like let's dive a little bit more. I didn't want to cut you off, but like that. Oh, no, absolutely. That's nuts. That's a long freaking resume, bro.
1: Oh man, it gets better. So while I'm at Cambridge Architectural and this happened after they screwed me over on my commission um, based on like uh, a thousandth of a percent on the gross margin, and that was bringing in the largest job that they have seen in the last five years. Um, they decided that I was going to get zero money from that deal. So massively upset me. And I was like, all right, well, at any given time, they can just take away what I thought I had earned and was promised to me. And I didn't like someone else being in control and telling me like, oh, hey, go do all this work. And then once it's complete, yeah, we'll think about paying you. And then, you know, when I when I had, you know, some gripes with them, they had the audacity to tell me that I'm lucky to have a job and to be being paid a salary. That, that doesn't resonate with me, right? I mean, and that's probably maybe a little uh, uh, oppositional defiance disorder, or however you want to, you know, call it, but it's more like, all right, well, if I'm going to get screwed over on money, I want it to be because it's my fault. I did it to myself and there's no one else to blame but me. So started looking into you know, real estate and I was like, oh man, how can I get some rentals? Because one of the other sales guys that was there, he owned about 10 rentals and then managed a few. So that kind of sparked the idea. So I started looking into some stuff and I found wholesaling actually found Sean Terry's course. Huh. Um, it was uh, you know a few hundred bucks to get in. Um, you know, the way that it was back in, this was in 2015. So, you know, the story started around like 2010 or 11. So now we're in 2015 when I got into real estate. So I start, I buy bandit signs, immediately take actions. I'll get like three or 400 bandit signs. I start putting them out um, on the Eastern shore in the Salisbury area. Well, my phone is ringing while I'm at work and they had already like put a bad taste in my mouth. So I'm like, all right, well, I'm just going to start taking these, uh, these seller calls while I'm at work. You know, I mean, if you're not going to pay me for the stuff that I'm going to do there, then I might as well create my own opportunities outside of there. So that way I can have a little bit of a cushion. Well, that actually didn't go over so well. (laughs) <laughs> so um, they heard me um, you know, talking to these sellers, or you know, someone told me or whatever the case is, but I quickly got let go from that job for taking seller calls at uh at the job. Rightfully so, that's fine. It's okay. But being brand new into real estate, I didn't know what I didn't know. Right. I'm handling these seller calls, I'm taking action. Um, I ended up locking up. So after I got fired, I was like, screw it. I'm just going to go full time, all in. Right. And you're like, oh, you probably think, oh, well then Reese just blossomed from there. And it's this <laughs> fairy tale story. It's not. So um, going in took me about three contracts before I got my first deal to close. First one I found Um, I didn't even know enough. I locked it up. It had already been sold, uh, as a foreclosure from the bank. The owner knew that even though I saw some stuff that said foreclosure, I was like, Hey, was this house foreclosed on? No, no, no. (laughs) I locked the deal up for like $12,000. I find a buyer for $25,000. So I'm making a great spread on my first deal. I'm like, yes, this worked. And it worked in the first time. So I t- I have the deal, um, the contract, and the title company. I got my buyer in the title company, and the title company calls me. They're like, "Reese, we're um, a problem. The bank owns the house and has already sold it to somebody else." I was like, "Well, what, what does that mean?" She's like, "You can't you, you can't lock up a deal that you that the seller doesn't own. She has no right to you know give you that or even you know sign that contract." I was like, "Oh man, so." then another one went through, um, wait, wait, real quick.
0: How was your buyer on that one? Was your buyer, did your buyer end up like kind of laughing that off with you or?
1: Yeah. He was just like, oh, okay, that's fine. I mean, it, you know, I, dude, I'm just shooting, I'm just shooting my shot trying to, uh, you know, make, make something work. So
0: beautiful, man. You know, I'm, happy. All,
1: I'm, I'm just, I'm just trying to turn, you know, nothing into something based on the knowledge that I had because, you know, what I found is like a lot of people, they get stuck. They're like, Oh, well, what do I do? What do I do? Do something. You have to be doing something. I was blasting on Craigslist. I was, uh, you know, going through list stores, pulling buyers, you know, trying to figure out skip tracing. Cause in 2015, there wasn't like a lot of great skip tracing, uh, platforms, a lot of great ways, uh, or a lot of great technology out there that is available now to make it so much more easier to do what we do now. Yeah.
0: I hear you. Yeah. Dude, so, but you know, honestly, like taking that action, just imperfect action, going out there, getting started, seeing what works. I think so many people are trying to figure out how to make it perfect. So to hear that you literally like you got that far, you got into contract, you got it to title, you got the buyer and then have it fall apart. And so what? Like, yeah, all right, screw it. Now you learn. Now, you know, great. Make sure a property is not a foreclosure. Let's go try this again.
1: Right. So now it's like, all right, well, yeah, let's, let's get another one. I got more sellers calling me. I'm still putting out bandit signs every week. Um, still getting phone calls, trying to figure out the process because the confidence that I had that allowed me to like still move forward in all of that was, okay. I don't understand the real estate, the transactional side, but I did get the fact that it's just paperwork and then the title company handles the rest and I'll just figure it out. But selling and bringing them through that sales process, getting them to commit and selling them on the price and all that, that was the skill that I already had. So I had that baseline, which, you know, someone like me in, in sales, I don't care what the product is, it doesn't matter, right? Because I have. The fundamentals and stuff to be able to sell that product. It's just understanding the product, which would it'll take me like two, three weeks to understand the product, features, benefits, know what the objections are. Once you know what the objections are, then you're already if you know what all the objections are going in, because in any industry, there you're always going to get the same ones, right? Usually it was somewhere around like eight to sixteen of the most common objections. This is something that my dad taught me. And then you also hear it on sales tapes. A lot of stuff that he taught me was like, you know, just regurgitated from sales tapes, but it was instilled that if you know what's going to come objection wise, right? You should write them down and then you're gonna hear them over and over and over again. And once you have that list, you need to have like three, four to five ways to overcome that and then practice that. And when you have that done, There's no way that someone's going to catch you off guard, make you feel unbalanced in the conversation. So now you can keep the control because no one's going to like flank you, sneak attack you. And you're like, Oh, what do I say? I already know what to say because I already know what's coming. So that was, uh, that was something that was like super Um, it it sounds, it sounds really easy, but it's, it's, it's a thing that a lot of people kind of take for granted, especially, you know, newer people that, that come in, even into the sales industry. Um, that is like, it's key to understand because they're always going to come. They're always going to be the same. And if you're ready, then you're going to be able to close and increase that conversion ratio.
0: You know what? I got to agree with you there because I mean, I've been spending a ton of time on the calls, a lot of times calling sellers, a lot of time playing role play with uh, my guys in the morning. And you're absolutely right. You run into, there's a handful of objections you hear every single time without fail. I mean, nine out of 10 calls, you're going to hear the exact same couple of questions, the exact same statements being thrown at you. And you start to realize, wow, if I already have this prepared, You're now like, I I find myself in the middle of calls nowadays doing something else. Like I'm texting on my phone. I'm like looking at Instagram, like, and it's so automatic. And getting to that level of confidence is actually what really gets these calls moving forward. What gets the contracts locked up. So to hear you say that it really doesn't matter what your product is, what industry you're in. Once you understand the fundamentals of the sales process of the communication Yeah, throw me anywhere. I'll, I'll take care of this. Like I'll be good.
1: Exactly. So when, when you're talking about a sales process, right, there's steps. So let's say there's 10 steps to the sales process, right? If you know, if there, anytime there are steps to something, it can be mastered, right? So if you understand there's one, two, three, all the way to 10, but when you're not always going to be able to move in chronological order, so The key to mastering the whole sales process is being able to move fluid like water in between all of those points and still control the conversation, because you might start at one, they're going to bring you all the way to nine, and then it's going to go back to two, then the six, then the three, and then down to 10. And you have to take it back to five because that was covering pain points and motivation and what the product's going to solve, because if you don't have that, then you have no leverage, so... That's, that's kind of the key and that's where knowing the objections that are going to come already, then you know that you can plant seeds, make statements, cover the objection before it even comes. So that way you are eliminating resistance and having to fight that particular point.
0: I like it. So I got a question for you, right? And uh, I think you'd be the perfect person to ask this. So the sales process, right? It's a fundamental process. Once you understand sales fundamentally, like you're saying, you could step into any space. Now, when you are in these different spaces, because you have been in so many different ones, what is essentially, what's the difference? Because, you know, you did say you had a particular gig with the credit cards, where uh, the credit processing, where you walked in there and you know, hey, I only get one shot versus with a uh, the other gig where, you know, I got 18 months to make this happen. So is it just a matter of the time and it's the same process just stretched out over a longer period of time or, you know, where's that difference lie?
1: No, so that, that's a good question. So um, on, on the longer sales process that went from, you know, the reason why it took so long was because you started with an architect that had to conceptualize this building. Put the idea on paper put it in cad make a scale bit it out find out how to put all this stuff together and that was really the longer process but i handled all the contractors the architects it's it's hard to be very salesy with an architect because i don't i don't have that strong point because it's more of a very artsy conversation um ideally like just kind of like boosting their ego but there's no like real way to monetize that until later. So we actually mm-hmm. had, we had a crew after, after I got in there, we were like, Hey, can, can we separate the, can we have somebody handle all the architect stuff instead of having me handle the architects and the contractors? Cause I'm great with contractors just because, you know, I, I understand them. We, we get along, have the same, you know, ideology and can connect. But when it comes to more of like that artsy thing that I, I struggle in that.
0: So it really is just getting inside there, building rapport and like, it doesn't really matter. Like you said, like what industry or where you're at, just being able to get inside there, build that rapport, match them, make a friend essentially. And, well,
1: and, uh, and, and that, at the end of the day, I mean, yeah, rapport is key, but what's even better than rapport is you have to understand like, what's, what's the motivation, mm. what's the pain, What's the problem that it's solving? Um, Because even after I went like full-time into real estate, right? I got my first contract, um, you know, after a whole bunch of turmoil, had to come in, renegotiate it. 40 grand down, found a buyer, made 20,000 on my first deal.
0: They let you negotiate 40 grand down.
1: (laughs) Yeah, there was like this little kind of like crack in the foundation. And I went in there, I'm like, hey, look, I had my foundation guy come out here and, you know, he's telling me it's going to be like 50 grand. I was like, I think I can beat him up on price. Um, but I can still get the deal done if you can come down 40 grand, because I already had the buyer telling me what price they wanted to be at. So I negotiated down 40 grand. We closed, I made 20. And I was hooked after that. Yeah. Yeah. So I'm like, oh, man, you know, I'm, you know, however old, 25 years old and making a $20,000 check. And when I was at Cambridge Architectural, my salary was like $42,000 without, you know, the commission and I was getting screwed on that. So I was like, man, there is massive potential here, (laughs) right? But the trouble was, is that I always worked in a company where systems were already there Mm. um, and then going full time, I'm like shit, I got to do everything.
0: now. And I was getting ready to ask you that because that's something I wanted to know because you you are a closer, right? I don't think anyone can deny that. And closers seem to be the, uh, they're like the quarterback of the real estate game, if you will, right? That's what everyone sees. That's the highlight piece. If someone thinks of real estate investments, they're going to think of an individual like you negotiating the contracts. But you and I both know there's a massive system behind you. There's a massive team behind you. So for a newbie getting in, what sort of like and a newbie that's coming in as a closer, like they know, well, I'm a sales guy. I'm a closer. I can talk to people. I can negotiate. What sort of team or system does this person need to go and look to acquire in order for them to be able to shine?
1: Oh, so that's a great question. So like, for for me and for, you know, anyone that's new out there um, to get in, there's like a couple of like really key things that you need, right? One, you have to know, um, do you have the budget to have someone else qualifying, cold calling and bringing leads to you, right? Or is your time better spent cold calling, trying to figure out what those leads are, then following up with them later. But if your power is you know, talking to them, getting them to a point in understanding, but you can't get past the no when you go for the close, then someone like me comes in and turns that no to a yes, right? So I know for me, my, my time is not spent cold calling, texting. So I have virtual assistants do that for me, right? Which is very, which is very important because now those leads that are coming in, Right? I get to talk to them, build a relationship, finding out those four pillars, which are motivation, timeline, condition, and price. So that way I can hone in, put in the notes, and then have the follow-up system in place to keep following up with them. But the motivation is super key because without that, you can't leverage them understanding how what you're trying to do is going to solve their, solve their problem. So I find a lot of people, right, even I do a lot of JV opportunities, you know, even in the sub two group and, you know, the creative financing group. But when we talk about the seller that they have, you know, that are coming in, a lot of times they don't know why it is that they're trying to sell. What's what the key point is, because if you don't have that, you really don't know, you're just you just throwing it up. You're like, oh, well, I gave him a price and he said no. Yeah, no shit, because you don't know that that price is going to solve his problem. So without understanding that you're, you're lacking even in the rapport side and trying to relate to him and hit on that point.
0: No, you know, you're spot on, you're spot on. And that's something you've been bringing to our our calls in the morning. That's something you reminded me and you beat me up and it got into my head where every single time it's always motivation out of all the pillars. (laughs) No matter what sort of sale, motivation's always the most important one. You know, the others are important, but this one's a little bit more important because this is where the emotion is. This is where the reason for doing the transaction truly lies. And if you don't know a person's reason, how the hell can you solve their problem? Like you just, you can't, you don't know what the problem, they haven't told you what the problem is. Mm-hmm. And you can never assume, I think, and maybe you'll agree with this. I think a mistake a lot of uh, new people make, especially new investors you know, we'll bring this to the world of real estate since a lot of people listening are in the world of real estate. A lot of new investors buy a list and let's say it's a pre-foreclosure list. They assume they know what the person's problem is. Oh, you're in pre-foreclosure. I already know what your problem is. I already have your solution.
1: Right. That's not definitely That's not the case.
0: Right, you need to still date them. You still need to find out. You need to talk to them and they need to express to you what their problem is and they need to know that you understood because you sat and listened. So people want I, to be understood.
1: Yeah, well, and and the, and that that goes in like finding out and digging deep into that and and you know, having a mass amount of empathy while you're searching for that motivation. It, at the same time you're doing that, you're building rapport and a connection and people are like, "Oh man, you know, this guy took the time to really figure out what was going on because I already know that they've already talked to five, six, seven people before I ever talked to them. <clears throat> and the reason why they're still selling was mainly because no one really took the time to understand what they're going through to be able to solve it. So that's, I mean, that's, that's really what sales is, is really solving the problem and convincing them that you have the right solution. Um, and, and it goes from there. So to kind of lead back into um, you know where it left off at like after I went full-time, I didn't understand like the systems that I needed to have in place. Um, the lead generation that I was doing was mostly bandit signs. And I, I went out of the Eastern Shore Salisbury area because, you know, there's like 30,000 people in there. And I started driving all the way to Baltimore, which is a two and a half hour drive one way, putting out bandit signs in Baltimore County, all the way down to the DC PG County line. And I would do that once a week. So I would go Friday, drive down there. So that way my signs would stay out um, Saturday and Sunday, and I would just leave them there. But that became massively time consuming because one, it's a five hour round trip, and I'm there for like three, four hours putting out signs. So most of the time, I wouldn't get back home to like four to sometimes five in the morning because I would go and arrive there when it's nine o'clock when traffic's starting to die down, right? I can't be putting signs out when, you know, it's rush hour because this it doesn't make sense. Um, so I kind of failed in having the systems, having the constant leads coming in. So I had to survive for about like nine months, did some other JV deals and then uh, got a job selling cars. So sold cars for about two and a half years uh, down in Salisbury at Pohanka Honda. Did really well there actually. Um, most of the time I wasn't like number one, um, you know, sales guy because number one means you move the most units. So this is, I'm giving, I guess I'm giving out a secret in the car industry, but I, it's not really a secret. Um, Just because you move the most units, doesn't mean you made real money. Because the money that you make commission wise when selling a car is how much of the gross profit that you held on that car. And then that's the percentage that you make. So Mm -hmm. the percentage is set. So you wanna hold as much profit as you possibly can. So that way you make the most amount of money. So a lot of times there will be guys selling, you know, 19, 20, 22 cars. I would sell 13 or 14, but I made more money than them. So I don't need to be number one. If I know that I can sell less, hold more gross and make more money than you. Because at the end of the day, if you're just doing volume and you're not making yourself money or the company money, then, you know, because if, if you make no profit on the deal, you get paid a hundred dollar flat. For selling that car you can't survive off that
0: nope so that's interesting so you get into wholesaling or you get into real estate investing you start wholesaling you get a twenty thousand dollar check you're still out here making it at some point you're like i'm going back into a sales job a traditional sales job where you're moving cars again Mm -hmm. what i'm curious what made that transaction like after was it just the, the fact of like the, the inefficiency in the system kind of taking Yeah, a-
1: it was the inefficiency in the system. It was, um, me not having the right mindset, trying to work from home, which is, it, it's a difficult transition. I mean, I'm used to it now, but it, you know, I had to be a self-starter, a self-motivator it's lonely by yourself oh, yeah. in there on, on the phone. And you're like, man, you know, I miss the camaraderie of, uh, at the office and talking to these people about deals and all this stuff. And I'm like, this sucks. So there was a little, you know, a poor mindset. And then, you know, that started to dwindle. And then I was either doing bandit signs or I was doing direct mail. And for those that haven't done direct mail before it's massively expensive And the best when you're murdering it in direct mail, you're looking at about a 3% response rate.
0: Which is, crazy low. Well, I mean, but that's crazy high for direct mail, but like still crazy low in comparison.
1: Right. And you want to send out that piece of mail more than one time. So I was like, oh man, you know, how can I not spend uh, $7,000 on sending a direct mail campaign? I was like, oh, I'll print them out, fold them, stuff them in envelopes and put the stamps on them myself. That saved a little bit of money, but it destroyed it time-wise because I'm like, man, you know, you get to the point where you're like, I don't want to do this. I'm like sitting there watching TV, folding letters, stamping them. Now I did get deals from that. So what I did was once I got, once I started selling cars and the reason why, you know, I never considered myself, like I never failed in real estate because I never quit, right? You can't fail if you don't quit just because I didn't make it full time. All right. Well, I'm selling cars, selling cars allow a little bit of freedom because you are essentially kind of your, not necessarily your own boss, but you have to create your own opportunity. And working in, um, you know, at that dealership taught me a lot about being one, the self-starter, two, creating your own opportunities. And it resonated. So I was there for two and a half years. Um, I started I was there for like a few months and then I started going back into uh, real estate, started marketing um, different ways because I was making great money. So I now had something consistent. Um, I also got into like flipping some Bitcoin, which was uh, incredibly lucrative. uh, (laughs) I did that for like 16, 17. Yeah.
0: Dude, you're a salesman through and through, bro. That's funny, man.
1: Yeah. So, um, no, obviously we're not here to talk about the Bitcoin thing, but um, I was able to create um, one, still being able to sell a great amount of cars and make profit there. I had what I was doing with the cryptocurrency and I was doing real estate. So while I was working at the dealership, um, I did, uh, I started getting into uh, SEO and pay-per-click. Mm. So total on that campaign, we spent about 15k, uh, made about 30 35k, which is not bad. One in one dollar in, two dollars out. That's pretty good. Um, but it was it, it. You need a lot of understanding behind like the paper click because I was hiring someone to manage it, and I'm like, all right, well I don't understand the management. Why am I spending so much, and I'm not seeing the leads that are good. But here's the real problem with the leads that were coming in that I couldn't convert was because I was only making cash offers.
0: Ah, so it wasn't that the leads were bad. It was on the back end, the conversion needed some boosting.
1: Right. So recognizing that, you know, we we made money, but there were plenty of opportunities that came in where... I know now about creative financing that I could have profited from that um, massively. There was a massive amount of money left on the table. So when I say a dollar in got $2 back, it probably should have been somewhere around four or $5 back. If I knew that and had a better understanding of it, you know, people would talk about it, but there was never any real in-depth immersion of, creative financing, all the options, and how it really works until, you know, Pace Morby's course came out and following him. And he really just like bears it all. So everybody else that was teaching like subject two, it was all just like teasers. And they gave it to you in a way that they were telling you the what, but never the how. And a lot of times not even like a follow-up product to get into for you to fully understand it. It was like, oh, hey, look what we can do, but you can't. (laughs)
0: seriously man i mean that's honestly how i felt when i first started under (laughs) finance it was just like way it just no one was making it make sense until pace came along broke it down and i felt like neo in the matrix where i was just like it's like yo he just plugged me in and the world just has never looked the same since
1: yeah man and I, i i mean i i felt the same way i mean You know, right before, you know, a few months before going into his course, I had a little bit better of an understanding of sub two and had done one or two subject two deals, but nowhere near the understanding implications, the way it's supposed to be structured, how you can actually make money as a lender, all those kind of great things. I was just like, oh, well, I solved this problem, made 10, 12, $15,000 wholesaling it out. It worked out great. Now I'm just moving on. I don't care about any of the insurance, you know, they default that's on them. I doesn't matter to me, which is terrible. Right. But I just, I just didn't know any better. Right. Right. I'm just like, oh, well, they're an investor. They took on the risk. Now it's their responsibility, but it really can fall back on me as well. So while selling cars, I did a ton of transactions So I made $100,000 in real estate in 2017. I did, uh, I bought seven rental units, right? The first rental I ever bought was a six unit. Bought that, completely rehabbed it, put it in a corporate lease. And uh, basically, I don't have to worry about vacancies. They have people coming in and checking on them. We rented it out to a company called Go-Getters on the Eastern Shore, uh, which helps the mentally, physically disabled that are getting their check. And per, and they take the money from them, but provide them housing, food, the support and structure that they need, and guaranteed, a, um, guaranteed that everybody pays on time. There's no vacancies. We don't deal with tenants. We deal with the, the company on anything. So... That really was the huge thing about getting into the, um, you know, the multi-unit right away because we're like, oh man, we're going to have to collect rent. What if these people don't pay, blah, blah, blah. And we didn't worry about that really until after we bought it. So we buy it, we're sitting, uh, we're sitting at this bar with a friend and we're talking about it. And he was like, man, that place sounds exactly like what my uncle is looking for all the time. So just by talking about it, we found that corporate lease person. We're in the middle of construction, walk him through. He was like, yeah, I'll take the whole thing. And then we worked out numbers, lawyers, all that stuff, got the lease signed. um, And then we had a deadline that we had to let them in by. So it was like, all right, we've got this thing figured out. I'm like, man, how, how good could it be? So, and then we also did our very first flip while I'm still working at the dealership um, great deal that we found up in Cambridge, uh, very new house probate situation and did a very light rehab, put it on the market, everybody in the dealership, including there's a couple people that lived in Cambridge. I was trying to wholesale it. I was trying to wholesale it actually to my general manager who was like, Hey man, you know, I'm trying to get into real estate too, blah, blah, blah. But he's like much, he, yeah, he's has much older guy which I always thought was funny. Cause he was like, you know, I'm explaining things to him. And he's like, no, 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 it's not. It's not like that Yeah, it is. <laughs> so, you know, but part of part of that is like just having the confidence that, you know, what you know. And he's like, <clears throat> I told him what the price I was going to put it at because I was, I was going to wholesale to him like for a quick 5k. I was like, man, I'm so glad you didn't buy this. So we're in and out in like two months, use hard money, no big deal. And put it on the market. It's sold in 24 hours for full list. Holy
0: crap. Yep. And, a,
1: and it was a cash buyer and we didn't have to do any kind of financing contingencies. So we closed in like 30 days. So,
0: so I'm curious, what was the spread on that one?
1: So that was, we made $60,000 on that deal. <sighs>
0: And you almost let go of that for 5k.
1: Wow. And that was, and that was kind of the, one of the pivotal moments where I'm like, okay, now I see the opportunity, like, Hey, wholesaling is fantastic because the risk is low, but man, we did great on this light rehab and then putting it back on the market. Right. So really just kind of like a whole tail went in, made some changes Put it on the market it sold super fast and we made that money and then from then once we made that sixty thousand, i i went from living on the eastern shore and then immo- immediately moved uh to the baltimore area uh to focus on real estate full-time i picked up another job actually just as like um you know security i was actually selling um business loans we we're doing you know cash advances and other type of unsecured uh, credit lines and stuff like that. Um, you know, I was like, all right, well, let me let me understand financing a little bit better. Did that, got into, as soon as I moved down here, got into a mastermind, uh, which is Deal Mastery that's out of the DMV. And inside of there, um, Andre Johnson, who was, you know, he's my mentor inside that mastermind, you know, he was helping me like, hey, realizing like, Oh, man you're able to close you're able to do this you need to focus on these activities like do it like just get out there do it again here are the systems these are the ways that it's supposed to go um, but he'll guide you in the right direction and give you this this advice and really kind of like let you flourish into your own which was really which was really nice and um, you know then I quit the um, quit doing the um, uh, the short, the small to medium sized business loans, and um, I've been full time ever since, which was I don't know, two and a half years or so.
0: Jeez, man, dude, that is a freaking resume. Holy cow, <laughs> dude! Like, honestly, man, that's a, a lot there. I mean, that's so much experience being built on top, and this is kind of why I like having a show like this, right? Where I like to have people come on and express, like, that's a decade right there of just job to job to sales to sales to experience on top of experience all layered and caked up Mm -hmm. and people are meeting you nowadays people are seeing you nowadays and thinking like it's just coming out of nowhere right like yo reese can just close and he could just talk to people and it's like no man like he he's been in the gym for the last 10 years he's been trained longer than that like you've just been in there just working at your craft so although it looks like he could just lock up a deal in 30 minutes on one phone call or 20 minutes in one phone call it's not really 20 minutes it's 20 minutes plus 12 years plus everything else before that that built you up to this point so i'm curious to know right because you got a lot going on there which is freaking rad one thing before we dive deeper as like a guy collecting like fat checks, right? Sales can be like a pretty high job, right? Like it can get you like this crazy high when you're getting a $20,000 check or $30,000 check, especially when your salary was, you know, like 40K, like you're making half your salary in one single transaction. What was it like getting that money coming in? And were you responsible with it? Um, Like, how were you managing your finances when it came in such large lump sums?
1: So, do you are you is the question about the first check or what I'm doing now?
0: I would say comparison from where you were with the first check and where you are now because I imagine there's also an evolution. like just yeah,'m thinking yeah, of a twenty five yeah. year old getting a twenty thousand dollar check, man. Like, <laughs> like that's a that's a recipe for something.
1: Yeah. so, um, when I got the first check, I was massively irresponsible with it. I spent money and acted like, um, that check and there was like going to be a ton of other checks coming in I was like man you know in a sense that was easier than than I thought right I just did some negotiations uh, you know pulled strings and you know kind of orchestrated everyone through the title process um, and, and got the check I'm like all right well let's let's go do a couple more um, we did I did get a couple of more I actually JV with some other people in Baltimore and stuff like that but I was massively irresponsible with that money because I didn't in the beginning, I didn't have systems and processes in place, understanding my marketing that needs to come in, the leads that need to come in and then making sure that I follow up on them. So I was throwing, you know, good money after bad and just throwing it all over the place with no real understanding. So evolving from that till now, there's systems in place, there's follow-up in place. There was there's levels of automation that are actually getting better. I have uh, two virtual assistants right now and I've actually been concentrating on uh, recording my uh, system uh, you know, standard operating procedures and putting them in video form. So now I can train my virtual one of my virtual assistants to be a little bit more into like a lead manager role So that way, I can now shortcut some of that upfront conversation, have that information already ready, and I can come in and and do the closing, Um, which is a work in progress, right? Because um, one of the biggest things for me and the challenge of that was, um, I was like, oh, well, I want to set it up myself because of the way that I set it up, Um, I flow differently and coming into it in the middle sometimes doesn't always work great. But I was like, you know, when I say that out loud, I'm like, that's stupid. That sounds dumb, right? I need, because I can come into, um, you know, someone else that brings a deal that already has the seller and quickly identify these key points and get to the close faster. So that's where we are now taking that money, spending it in ways that one, it's going to take responsibilities away. So that way I can focus more on closing deals.
0: Man. I like that. I like that. And you just, uh, you touched on something really heavy right there where as you were talking about building out your own system and recognizing, it's funny how when we start working on our own business and our own stuff and our own, basically our own challenges, we start coming up with these weird limiting thoughts, these weird, beliefs that, oh man, like this won't work or I can, I'm the only one that's going to be able to do it better. Your system won't work for me, but it'll work for everybody else on the planet. Right. Everyone else in the universe, it'll work for, except for me because I'm, the, I'm just that special. And my situation is just that unique. Absolutely. And it's freaking, it's really not like we could solve other people's, you and I were talking about this, you know, like doing JV opportunities, talking to different people, sellers. It's so easy to get in there and like kind of just crush it on their deal because you're disassociated, you're divorced from the situation, from their reality. So being able to do that for your own business, it's cool that you recognized that, what am I crazy? Like, yeah, of course I need to implement this system yeah. and drop it into
1: my own business. Absolutely. And then like, even going through that process, I'm like, oh yeah, um, you know, I, I know what I'm supposed to do during the day and this is how I have it done. And I'm like, all right, well, how do I, how do I lay this out? And then I actually realized, I'm like, I don't have any real standard operating procedures. And I'm like, I mean, I I know how to like get the things done that I need to get done, but man, I have, so that's what I'm doing now is like, all right, I'm laying these things out. Like, this is what I do now. How can I duplicate it, show a video, do this. And um, it's allowing me to focus on helping others with JV opportunities, focusing more on my leads coming in, um, which is really a lot of that, um, as, as we know that, you know, just because you got a deal here in the contract sign, sometimes that can take 30 days, 40 days um, or so even further to get to closing, whether there's problems or whatever the case is. So for the, and just to kind of give you a, a snapshot into what's going on currently right now, I have a total of... I think it's six or seven contracts. I've had two deals already close. Um, currently right now, all of them are joint venture deals and projected is going to be, I think it's 80,000 to 60,000 that should come in by the end of this month. So what that means, right. For those that might not have caught that is I became part of creating a 100, on the low end, $120,000 in assignment fees, right? So not only was I able to do that for me, but I was able to do that for them, right? So a lot of these people that I'm helping, it might be their first or second or their third deal, or they've only been doing cash offers and they recognize the opportunity for a creative financing deal, But they need someone to explain it in a way that makes sense to that seller, someone that can identify that personality type and really be able to resonate with them, whether they're analytical, whether they're, you know, a high driver in the conversation, because they have to be delivered to differently, right? Numbers, closes are different, right? And having a mass understanding and a deep understanding of that allows me to also uh, be incredibly successful quickly, right? Because I'll go in and be able to underwrite the deal, understand the numbers on the phone and know a couple of exit strategies that we could do, whether it, we're going to wrap it, wholesale it off, it cash flows, as long as the cash flows, we're good to go and we have multiple opportunities. So now it's just selling them on the idea and how it can solve their problem. So for those that are out there that are struggling um, to get some of these creative financing deals done, please reach out to me. I would love to be able to help you guys. I mean, I took $120,000 in assignment fees um, that you know those deals might not have been able to get closed, and someone else might have went behind you that could explain terms and got that wrapped up.
0: Yeah. And you know what? We've seen that before. We've seen that a lot where somebody was being stubborn. They, they kind of got the, the hot potato. They have the seller here, but mm-hmm. they don't know how to close the seller. And because they don't necessarily want to, they feel like they're giving up everything. They don't want to share. They end up losing it and they get nothing. You know, something that was said to me very early on when I started in this industry, when I got into real estate, someone said to me, hey, a little bit of something is better than a whole lot of nothing. Absolutely. And that really helps shape my mind and immediately turn JV opportunities on. And JV opportunities are actually, they've been killer. They've been clutch. So that's actually something, you know, I wanted to bring up, you know, so you do do JVs with a lot of folks, right? That's something that, you know, people, if they are struggling to kind of get the ball moving on the conversation to get the seller across the finish line, that's something that would be like a great time for them to reach out to you and just say, you know, like, Hey Reese, like I have this situation. Like, do they have to be in your market um, for them to come to you?
1: No, it doesn't matter. I actually have deals right now. in. Uh, so I'm in the, you know, Baltimore, Maryland market, but I have deals in uh, Maryland. I have deals in Florida, Missouri, Ohio. Um, Cause really at the end of the day, it doesn't matter where it is. Right. Because the understanding that I have sales wise um, is, 50 states, and at the end of the day, comping out the properties, understanding the rental rates, you don't need to be in that market to understand that it's going to cash flow this way or cash flow that way. And um, those solving seller problems are not state to state. So the only thing that changes state to state sometimes is going to be the title company, the way they close paperwork, and that's easy. Right, because now you can leverage someone like Rochelle, and I use Rochelle on a lot of my deals. Um, But I also have used, I also have done deals without her in there, because I'm, you know, sometimes I'm like, all right, well, let me try to do it myself. And then there's also been times where I'm like, all right, well, let me try to do this myself, and I'm like, it's getting a little rocky. I'm like, oh shit, Rochelle, hey, hey, can you, can you, can you (laughs) jump in here, please? So you know, I go to the form, I fill it out. And it, it makes it nice because, you know, I don't need her to go over the contract, go over uh, contract objections to get it signed. I get that done. But going through some of the proper paperwork and title, um, you know, can sometimes be challenging.
0: I like that. So, I mean, guys, like, seriously, that's uh, no joke. Really reach out to like, um, you know, I'm going to have your info down below, but what's the best way to contact you? Like if someone did have, like, let's say I'm relatively new to, real estate investing, or I'm somewhat experienced, but I just, I have a frustrated seller, I guess, or I have a seller that's not quite budging, but they're still having the conversation with me. Like, what can I do to, I guess, get you on the phone with my seller?
1: Yeah. So, um, you know, this is probably going to be a little brazen, but um, I'm just going to give my cell phone number out. However, only text me if you do have a deal, right? If you want to pick my brain or something like that, we want to make sure that we're not talking about what ifs. I want to talk about actual situations That's something that Pay says all the time, which which is, is very true because I don't I I want to cl- I want to help you close deals, not help you talk about hypothetical situations that don't exist in your life yet. So the number is 443 614 2495. I'll say it one more time, it's 443 614 2495. Text me. I prefer you text me than call me. Um, and just tell me about the deal, right? Don't just be like, hey, what's up? And then I have to like go through that whole thing. Just lay lay it all out. Hey, Reese, I have this deal. I have this seller. Um, when can when, when can we get on the phone? What I'll do is I'll probably shoot you out a calendarly link, let you schedule time on my calendar so we can run it down 15 minutes, see what's going on and hopefully be able to jump on the call with the seller and identify the problem, get the contract closed as quickly as possible.
0: Yo, that is insane. That's like, I wish I had something like that when I came across my first deal, because I had this guy open to having the conversation with me, went on the appointment, let me fumble around with trying to negotiate something like several times. Like, I don't know how he had so much patience with me. But like, had I heard something like that, where I knew I could have just reached out to somebody like yourself, it's like, that's closed deals that is still actively doing this heavily, constantly growing in the space. And I could have said like, Hey Reese, like I have no idea really like, just being honest, I don't know what to do with this guy. Will you help me lock this up? And yeah, like, let's both get paid off of this, Mm -hmm. you know, because essentially I walked away from that with nothing. Like I had, I mean, I got experience from it and I like, I now know from that mistake, like I screwed up big time. But had I had someone like yourself, I could have probably learned way more, way faster by just being able to see exactly like, oh, that's what I should have done. Mm -hmm. Holy crap. Yes. Okay. This makes sense. So that's guys take him up on that. Seriously, like don't hit him up for nothing, but that's a valuable resource. Don't waste it. If you do come across a deal that you can't figure out, go find his phone number, go back, go backwards, like two minutes, get that phone number and shoot him a text message let them know, utilize that resource, man. Yo, Reese, thank you for giving that out to people. That's crazy, dude. Yeah, yeah not,
1: a, not, not a problem. I mean, it's the best way to get a hold of me, like uh, Facebook Messenger. A lot of times you'll probably get lost in the, whatever the Messenger <laughs> system is now. Facebook just changed their algorithm again. So just text me, but make sure that you have a deal in a live seller that we can really uh, tackle.
0: So Reese, I got two final questions. For yeah, you. man, absolutely. These are my two favorite questions that I love asking just (laughs) every single guest, right? Everyone that comes on the show. First one is pretty straightforward uh, because you clearly built up a strong mindset, right? And I think reading is one of the most powerful things you can do. So you nodding your head is telling me you agree with that. Can you name two books that have just been wildly influential for you? And it could be through anything. I mean, it could be with business. It could be personal. But like two books that have just given such a paradigm shift that as I said that there were two books that kind of popped into the forefront of your head, like what were those two books?
1: So, um,
0: oh man, he pulls them out. He has them sitting right there on the side.
1: uh, Right here on the side. So um, this book right here is The Perfect Day Formula. I'm big into, um, you know, trying to figure out the morning routine. So it took me, it took me a while. Um, I have a couple other books, but let me just talk about this one for a second. It took me a while to, figure out the whole mindset thing, right? Because um, working from home, it is is a difficult disconnect from you being at a W2, right? You're leaving the house, you're going somewhere to work, and then you come home and you associate home and being in this house with, it's time to relax, it's chilling, we're watching TV, we're playing video games, doing whatever the case is. To now, you have to wake up from one room, get ready, get dressed, and then walk into the next room of where your office is, and you still haven't left the house. So that's one of the biggest um, disconnects that I had to break. Like, hey, it's uh, it's work time, right? Mm-hmm. People are like, oh man, you know you're, you're you're off you're off work or like you're working from home. Like, no, no, dude, I, this is work time. Like, hit me up on the weekend, and I might even still be busy then because right, at the end of the day I'm trying to build this right because in the beginning it was something that like I was um, half assing a little bit not really taking super serious to now I'm full-time I'm committed I've been in it for a little over two and a half years full time so I mean you know it has to be serious so something that's understanding you know your morning routine um, is, it absolute must, right? I mean, there's another one that, you know, kind of got me into the whole thing, which was uh, uh, Miracle Morning or Morning Miracle, um, which was awesome, right?
0: Dude, yeah, Will's been telling me I got to read that. He keeps like pushing it on me. I still haven't picked it up. So definitely got to make it, uh, make that on the list.
1: Yeah. And then, I mean, there's, there's, uh, I always keep trying to um, read sales books. I do a lot of audio tapes, because um, I was driving a lot, I don't drive that much anymore, but I still like to listen to them in the morning, do that, do that type of reading. Um, but sharpening that skill set every single day is crucial, right? Because not only are you worried about overcoming objections, you have to dive deep into the seller, relate to them with empathy, not sympathy, they're very different. But keeping yourself removed enough to be able to provide a solution and have the confidence when they try to take you all the way left with some sort of, not necessarily sob story, but something that pulls on your heartstrings and you make an emotional decision that you guys agreed on, but you were unable to perform on, right? So you did it because you felt sympathy for him or for them and they tugged on your emotions and you made an emotional decision, you're like, oh no, it was the right thing to do. No, it wasn't. Just because it seems like it's the right thing to do, it's your job to say, no, I can't do that. Because if I do, I promise you will be upset with me later because I won't be able to perform. So a lot of times when people try to take me one way, I will sometimes flat out just say, no, we're not doing that. And that stops it dead in the tracks i think i when we role played like the first time i think i even did that to you
0: (laughs) yeah no i I, and like i loved it you know because i gotta i gotta say why i loved it (laughs) last night i was on the phone with one of the sean's leads she couldn't she's been having trouble closing this guy so she gets me on the phone with him and i'm talking and the terms he's giving they're just garbage i'm talking like the guy wants way too much of a down payment he wants 10 percent interest he wants the loan to mature in five years and Like he's already overpriced, and I'm just like, and there needs renovation. I'm like, man, I'm like, this, these terms suck, dude. Yeah,
1: this sounds like a great deal for you.
0: Yeah, he started trying to sell it to me at some point when I started backing off. He was like trying to explain to me why it was such a great deal. And I just had to let him know, like, hey, look, you want this. Your main concern is you're going to give somebody terms, right? And they're going to back out on you. So you're trying to set up the terms so well that at least it's in your favor, but here's the deal. You're setting me up for failure. So that's why I'm saying no right now, because you're setting this up to the point where I won't be able to perform on what you want me to do. That's not gonna, you know, I could say yes to you today and make you real happy, but let's say two months down the road, something breaks, I'm gonna be hurting. I'm gonna be in a position where I might have to default on you and the worst case scenario is created because of this structure. So like you said, I had to say, no, I had to just be hard and no.
1: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, and I've, I've even gone as far as talking to them and they're like, well, you know, these, these are the terms. And I'm like, all right, you know, from like one investor to another, like, would you pay those rates? Oh no, no. I, you know, I've, I've been in this a long time. I I get much better rates than that. Then why do you expect me to pay them? Right. And I had, um, had a gentleman in the boston area and we were talking about the deed in lieu of foreclosure in case there was a default and um, how we're going to have the servicing company hold that form so there's a third party that's you know playing you know Switzerland not you know on either side to activate that if that does happen he was like yeah well um, would you let my lawyer hold it i said why would i let your lawyer hold it i was like would you let my lawyer hold it he was like well why 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 do you want your lawyer to hold it I said, well, you know, for the same reason that you want your lawyer to hold it. So the answer is no, if it's no for me, then it's no for you. Like that doesn't even make sense. But the, my, my point in saying that is not to like come off and sound like, Hey, I'm a hard ass or anything like that. But sometimes these sellers are kind of trying to like trip you up in a way that you have to bring them back to reality. Like, Hey, what you just said, I'm going to say it back to you, but paint the picture that what you're asking me to do in reality makes absolutely no sense. And let me tell you why, right? That same exact seller, we were doing a hybrid deal and the way we were structuring it over the phone, he wanted a thousand dollars a month on the structure, on the, uh, on the second note, right? Which would have put us at mm, about 2,100 a month total. And the rent was 2,100. And I'm like, man, that's garbage, right? So he was like, yeah, man, but that, I mean, that's that—that's what I would need. So what I did was, as we started going through the numbers, knowing that he wants to be here, we started breaking down his expenses that he pays, the rent that's currently coming in, and his cost that's currently coming in, and what his cash flow is now. So I find out his cash flow is 450 bucks a month, but I don't use that ammunition ammunition right away because I'm trying to get him at a 300, 200 dollar payment. He was like, man, I can barely buy any kind of, you know, that's like, that's not even like one or two dinners a month. Uh, you know, I don't know who else you're paying for dinner for, but you know, <clears throat> that's crazy. <clears throat> so having to not necessarily tell him no, but tell him no as to why, right? Like, why would you want to cash flow a thousand when you're only cash flowing four fifty, and you're telling me that your that you can't even eat off that amount of money, but that's what you're making now. Like, it just he was just trying to play the game to see if I am who I say that I am. Like, am I legit? Do I believe in myself enough to know that I can make this happen? Because he probably already knows if I'm going to pay a thousand dollar note, he ain't signed that paperwork. So we're going to have uh, a conference with him tomorrow with Rochelle to go over some of the deed and lose stuff. And that deal will probably be locked up early next week.
0: Dude, I'm loving it, man. Yo, you're still just like dropping value in here, like near the end. Like, that's crazy because that right there, I hope people were li- really paying attention and listening to that because you dropped some gems right there. Like that was really like you just put people on the game, you know, building up ammunition, having confidence. I think the most important thing you said right there was having that confidence to show you are who you say you are. Right. And that comes from the practice that comes from the training that comes from the confidence. It's like what Kobe Bryant used to say, right? Booze don't make you miss shots. You know, if you're in the stadium and the whole crowd is against you and they're booing, that's not a reason to miss a shot. Because if you practiced and you drilled, it really doesn't matter what's happening in the outside world. You have confidence in your own ability and what you've prepped for. And you know that no matter what, you're going to do this thing that you prepared yourself to do.
1: So. Yeah, it, becomes, it becomes muscle memory, you know, Yeah, man,
0: that's spot on. So it's like you're saying you get that from reading a lot of business books, man, right?
1: Well, I mean, so, you know, I, I do get that from from definitely reading books and, you know, practicing the craft. But at the same time, while you're, while you're gathering all that information from them, whether they want to give that information to you, you have to be able to pull it out, right? You want to know, what they're profiting, what their expenses are. If they're, you know, if they're a landlord um, what the, what all the numbers are. And I'm writing, I'm writing them down. I have bank rate up when I'm doing terms on my screen while I'm on the phone with the seller. So that way I'm sitting there and I'm typing these things out. So that way I'm structuring the deal while I'm on the phone, because I want to talk about real numbers with these people, as long as I can get to that point on that, on that call right? Depending on the call, I might have to do it on the next one. But getting to those numbers to let them know like, hey, look, I'm serious. I'm not going to be like, oh, hey, um, let me look at the house and like, I'll call you back in a week. No, screw that. I want to talk to you now because I know that there's, you know, Marlin and Will and all those other guys are trying to get this property too. So I have to get it first, right? So I want to be able to structure on the phone with you And being able to do that on the phone provides massive credibility. And then when they try to waiver you or come up with these like, oh, no, I want 8%. You don't want 8% because you only only like that number because it's a number. You're like, oh, I should get 8%. You don't know what 8% does to the deal. You haven't done the math and your 8% just destroyed the cash flow. So like nobody will buy that just like nobody's buying it at your price right now.
0: Man, I love it. Yo, guys, make sure you're out at least like, honestly, like you're watching, like that's what, it's what's needed. You need to have somebody that's able to do these sort of calculations, able to juggle both the conversation and the numbers and the property and the unknown all together. So it's like, that's valuable, man. So yeah. I got one more question for you. Yeah, yeah, for sure. And this one is by far my favorite question. So- Let's imagine, you know, tomorrow's a fresh day. You wake up and, dude, you don't remember anything. Like, Reese is blank again, bro. You don't remember any of the sales training. You don't remember any of the real estate deals. You don't remember, like, you don't even remember your name, man. You are a blank human being. However, you do get to retain one piece of knowledge, one piece of wisdom. It stays inside there and you don't question it, you just know it to be true without a shadow of a doubt and you run with it. What would you want that one piece of knowledge to be?
1: Mm. The unwavering confidence in myself on the decisions that I think are right in the deal to move forward in and not have some sort of anxiety. I would say it would be confidence, whether I have to fake the confidence or the confidence is real. That sounds kind of like weird, right? Because at the end of the day, the confidence is untouchable, but it's the stuff that I say to myself in my head, right? Like I might be showing this property to a buyer um, and it's a straight wholesale deal. And he walks through and he's like, Reese, your rehab numbers are way off. You know, you said 70, it's going to take 140. You're out of your mind, get out, right? Like, how did you just go from $50 a square foot to completely rehab this house? to like $80 a square foot, like one, I know you're not paying those crazy numbers and you're using hard money. I just put that in my sheet. I know what you're telling me is a lie because the numbers are the numbers. So it would be the confidence with what I would
0: want to retain. Yo, I love it. That's a solid answer, man. Honestly, like that makes the difference. Having the confidence, it really doesn't even matter what you are saying at that point. If you are confident enough, you can be so confident that you can be wrong and still convince the other person of your wrong truth just by having that level of confidence. Not saying go out there and be wrong, but recognizing that the confidence has the power to sway others into seeing from your side of things. So that's that's super clutch.
1: Well, let me also rephrase a little bit. So I would say the confidence of believing in myself, right? Because confidence sometimes can be misconstrued as cockiness, and like, oh, there's there is a fine line. But just know, like, you have this intuition, this gut feeling. Um, you know, if it's lingering there in the background, it's there for a reason. It's not because you're wrong. It's because some outside force, whatever it is, I don't know what it is, but there's something saying, hey, well, this is probably not right. Stick to your guns, your gut feeling. That's that's why the saying is like, hey, you know, follow your gut. Dude,
0: I freaking love it. I love it, man. That's, uh, that's spot on. So Reese, you know, for people that want to get in contact with you, whether or not they want to do a JV with you or whether or not they want to learn more from you. By the way, guys, I seriously recommend like, Finding this man on Facebook because you drop some. We didn't mention it, but you drop like seller calls on there that you do with people that you actually have your calls recorded, so people could listen to the conversation with actual sellers. But where's um you know if I wanted to follow you, where would I go? Where should I find you?
1: Um, so I mean, primarily I'm on Facebook. Probably should be building out my Instagram, but you know it's just Reese Pennington on Facebook. Um, you'll be able to see a lot of the uh, live seller calls. Um, Kind of got away from doing that, which I'm going to start picking back up. Um, got actually the Boston uh person that we were talking about. I have a, uh, a recording of us going over the conversation and him trying to change terms. Um, personality wise, you'll be able to hear with super awesome conversation. I'm gonna, uh, I'm gonna drop that one uh probably on Sunday. Uh, but yeah, really just Reese Pennington on Facebook. Uh, but if uh Instagram, which I'll be building up to, is at Reese H Pennington. So that's at Reese H Pennington for Instagram as well.
0: Awesome. So guys, I'm going to have those uh, down in the description below. You'll be able to click on the link and yo Reese, seriously, man, thank you for coming in. Um, You know, it really is valuable being able to talk to somebody like you that has the experience that is still actively in the game and crushing it. And I really, guys, I encourage you, if you are getting stuck on a deal, if you're stuck somewhere, reach out to him, give him a call. He gave you his phone number earlier. If you didn't find it, go back into the conversation. Make sure you were paying attention to everything he was saying. Pick that phone number up, shoot him a text message, let him know about the deal and get paid. Yeah, Let's turn your your hard work into some money.
1: Yeah, I'll drop it one more time. It is 443-614-2495. 443-614-2495 text me only if you have a deal, a seller that's hot, ready to go, or they're even considering terms based on what you laid out. So that way we can get right to it. Right. Cause so I want to fast track you guys to getting that check, whether it's the first one, the eighth one, the 20th one, whatever it is that I can do to help you guys. And the cool thing that I do when going through uh, JV deals is I'm telling you're on the phone with me. Um, the only, when you're on the phone with me, one thing is you do not get to talk while I'm talking. And the reason for that is like, you can't interrupt me at all. And because there are, um, ways where I'm asking questions that I don't know the answer to there's silence that I'm trying to play on. There's multiple psychological things that I'm trying to play on. And if you interrupt that, you could destroy it. So. That's just the rules of the game.
0: Jeez, man. You're like a Jedi with it, bro. Like seriously. And yo guys, if you want to learn more, um, you know, shoot me a DM. We're doing role play. We've been doing role plays for the last two and a half months, every day, waking up 6 a.m. till 7, working on building these skills. So you're not just learning about it from reading or listening to somebody else do it, but you're actually practicing. You're getting in the gym and you're working on that muscle. So if that's something that you guys are interested in doing, which I highly recommend, especially if you want to be an elite closer, if you want to be a ninja of a closer, definitely reach out, um, shoot me a DM. We'll get you in um, the next time we have a spot that opens up, and you know you'll come learn from guys like Reese, guys like myself, guys like Will, people that are actively doing this right now that take this as serious as like this is our life, this is what we do, you know. So Reese. I appreciate you for coming on, man. Like this is hey, man my absolute pleasure. pleasure. And uh, I definitely look forward to hearing about the people that reach out to you and hearing about the more deals you guys close. Absolutely,
1: man. Absolutely. I'm super excited. Thank you so much. Dude, of course, man.
0: Hey, I really hope you enjoyed this episode and that you were able to get some sort of value from it. If you found anything that was valuable please go into the comments let us know what it was what your key takeaway was we look through the comments every day we respond to all of them and it lets us know what's working what's resonating and what we should talk more about if you have found anything to be useful that you're able to apply to your life go back and listen to it again because the second and third time you come around and listen to the information what you find is the information doesn't change but you change and new things are going to start to stand out to you that's why we record these that's why they're out there for you to come back to and listen and finally if you are finding value here i need you i need you to go out and share this with a friend send this to them let them know they need to listen they need to take action and they need to change their life because if you want to grow you're going to need your network to grow you're going to need your inner circle to grow okay so that's the best gift you can give somebody give them education that they can apply to their life and level themselves up Keep learning and keep growing. I'll see you on the next episode.